This is episode 190 of the Dear Discreet Guide to Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled The Book of M, or Good Writing is Hard. This episode is part of our Literary Sunday series during the pandemic. Hey, everybody. It seems like this is probably a good time to talk to you a little bit about what's happening behind the scenes here at Dear Discreet Guide. So it's been almost two years since we started the podcast, and we're almost at episode 200. So with 10 or 15 episodes left, whatever we have in the rest of this year, is the point at which we're going to change things a bit. And we'll still do books and movies and talk about people's life's work, but we will step away from it being quite an advice show about work and sort of both broaden the topics and also narrow them at the same time. And I'd love to tell you what the new name of the show is, but we haven't decided. And this is where I could use your help. I'd love to have your suggestions for what the name of the show should be. So it'll be pretty similar to what we've been doing over the past two years, minus the kind of uh, work advice or career advice uh, that we folded in, particularly in that first year. So we'll still be talking about learning and work, uh, but not quite so much advice. So if you have uh, some suggestions for me, I'd love to hear them. And you know, the other thing is, I get asked most often by my guests, what's your audience like? And I have to tell them, I don't really know. I know who a few of you are, but I can tell that there's a big listening audience out there that I have no clue who you are. So if you have time and would like to help me out, drop me a line. Let me know who you are, what you're interested in, your suggestion for the new name of the show, and really anything else you'd like for us to know. There are all kinds of different ways you can reach me. I'm all over LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and also through the website, A Discreet Guide. So yeah, please reach out and let us know. And of course, any support you can give to the show is also so appreciated, whether it's a review or if you can follow the show or just give us a nice rating. All of those things will really help us in the new year, grow the audience, and also uh, provide a show that, that you really like and that you really enjoy. So not a whole lot of specifics today. I wish I had more for you, but just be aware we're planning on changing the name once we turn over into 2021, Uh, but a lot of things will stay the same and would really like to keep you as a listener and know more about you. Thanks a lot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this.
Here's something a little bit different for you. This book, which is titled The Book of M by Peng Shepard, gets included in the sci-fi dystopian epidemic books, but it's a little bit misclassified in my opinion, which is why some people don't like it. I'd say it's a bit more in the genre of Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe or Peter Pan, uh, which is also referenced several times in the book. So maybe more magic, more fantasy. But it starts out like a very typical dystopian book, except that it immediately stretches and then breaks your suspension of disbelief. So it's kind of a rocky start. I should subtitle this episode, Good Writing is Really Hard. I remember sitting across from a woman who had presented me with a manuscript about career success for women. You know, there are lots of those books out there. And I'd read through some of it when I tried to explain to her what was wrong with it. And I tried to use really kind words. And I said, someone is going to have to go through this sentence by sentence and scrutinize every word to make sure that it's the precise word, to look at every pronoun and make sure that its antecedent is clear, to look at every verb and make sure that it's in its correct grammatical form. That is what is required to produce a really high-quality text that can help someone and isn't full of... I don't think I said this. I think I was kinder, but I'll say it to you, isn't full of kind of worthless and potentially even nonsensical platitudes. And she just looked at me and I thought, she's never going to do it. It's just too much work for her. And I'm not sure that she has the skills to do that. And And fundamentally, I don't think it matters that much to her. And that's true for lots of writers, right? They just don't care that much. So let's back up a little bit here about the Book of M, because I doubt if the writer didn't care, but for whatever reason, nobody did that for her. And this book, sadly, has really suffered from that. It was published in 2018, and this was her first book, Let's talk about some of the good stuff first. And so here's the book's description from its website. Set in a dangerous near-future world, the Book of M tells the captivating story of a group of ordinary people caught in an extraordinary catastrophe who risk everything to save the ones they love, a sweeping debut that illuminates the power that memories have not only on the heart, but on the world itself. One afternoon at an outdoor market in India, a man's shadow disappears, an occurrence science cannot explain. He is only the first. The phenomenon spreads like a plague, and while those afflicted gain a strange new power, it comes at a horrible price, the loss of all their memories. Ori and his wife Max have escaped the forgetting so far by hiding in an abandoned hotel deep in the woods. Their new life feels almost normal until one day Max's shadow disappears too. Knowing that the more she forgets, the more dangerous she will become to Ori, Max runs away. 
but Ori refuses to give up the time they have together. Desperate to find Max before her memory disappears completely, he follows her trail across a perilous, unrecognizable world, braving the threat of roaming bandits, the call to a new war being waged on the ruins of the capital, and the rise of a sinister cult called Transcendence that worships the shadowless. As they journey, each searches for answers, for Ori, about love, about survival, about hope, and for Max, about a new force growing in the South that may hold the cure. Sounds so great, right? It's just that it overpromises, and I would say the writing just doesn't measure up to this challenge, because this would be a very tough book to write. It's a very complicated plot. There are way many characters, multiple perspectives. There are flashbacks within flashbacks. There are multiple battle scenes. There's a kind of uncomfortable fledging romance. And then overall, you know, just trying to explain all these weird happenings that don't make sense, even internal sense. And I would just say for a first-time writer, I think it's a bit much. But she didn't help herself. And really, what I should probably say is no one helped her. I mean, I really wonder who her editor was. At first, I thought it might actually be self-published or with a very small press, but it's William Morrow, so that isn't the case. There were so many sentences that were just a little bit garbled or written in a backwards way or had a sentence fragment or just weren't very clear. And I would think, gosh, it would have been so easy to fix this. Like whose terrible idea was it to have several characters go by different names, even in the same darn paragraph? The writing is really uneven and unclear. So the reader is constantly distracted by these minor details that don't make sense. And it's full of phrases like inexplicably or for some reason, from who knows where. One sentence says somehow dot 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 or something. There are even characters who say I can't explain it, I don't know why, or it was such an odd thing to do. These are not good things to hear when you are relying on the author to bring you into a world that is at least internally consistent. There were times when I thought to myself, well, paper never refused ink. Because an author can literally put anything they want down on paper, but when things are poorly explained, it irritates the reader. My writing teacher, Amity Gage, told us that it was the author's responsibility to put the reader to sleep and draw him or her into a world. I'm ad-libbing this. But if you wake your reader from the dream, they are going to be in a bad mood. And sadly, that's how I felt during a big part of this book. And so here are some things that bugged me. Uh, There was a sentence at the beginning, he dug around in the front zipper of his bag. There is a difference between a zipper and a pocket. There were times when I wondered if she isn't a native English speaker. There were all these references to the power going down or the electricity going down. I don't know. You tell me that sounds a little off to me. 
Another place, he said he was looking for signs of her as he went, a dropped supply. He might recognize a tear of familiar clothing. A dropped supply? Do we say that? A tear? Don't we mean a scrap? And then there's another reference to eating food off the carpet, like licking the dirty shoe-stained fibers. Shoe-stained? Another sentence was, one of their champagnes went everywhere, disappearing into the grass. One champagne? Everywhere? And simultaneously disappearing? I felt like Alice after a while. Say what you mean and mean what you say. There's one more, and then I promise I'll quit. The hole was so low that the walls of it cast a shade over me. Low? Don't you mean deep? Oh, so finally, sorry, I lied. There is one more. Here's a reference to, in truth, Naz could have cared less about it instead of couldn't care less. I just wouldn't have expected that from a major publisher. Then there were these other things that I promised I'm not picking any more about grammar and word choice, but just things that, you know, sort of instantly raise a question in your mind, like they were down to their last meal, which was a jar of spaghetti sauce. I don't know about you, but my guess is that my last meal would be like some desiccated rice or old beans or some kind of nasty legume, not a jar of tomato sauce. And like he he keeps their spare key to their hideout in the woods in a false rock that he'd scavenged from a deserted housing goods store. Like you've scavenged that? It just seems like that would be such a weird suburban thing to scavenge. Like, oh honey, could you pick up a false rock while you're wrestling with the shadowless? It also seems like if you're in apocalypse, you would keep that extra key buried a foot down in some dirt, not in a false rock. And don't we call it a fake rock? Anyway, then there are just these other things that just kind of make you frown and sort of raise a question in my mind. Like it's been so long that wooden fences are completely rotted through, but they could still smell bodies decaying. I mean, sure, dogs can smell bones many, many years after death, but unless you're a golden retriever, I don't think you're going to still keep smelling bodies after wood has totally rotted. And then there are these huge pieces of the narrative that are allegedly recorded by one character on the run in her private moments on a tape deck that seems to run forever without power, but it includes like long descriptions and and even dialogue. So you're like, what? And our protagonist, who ends up going by multiple names, has a wife who has a man's name, which added to my confusion. So he goes on a scavenging trip, which we know a lot about, right? Because we've all read so many books about where people go to scavenge in a post-apocalyptic world. And then he goes into an apartment building where vending machines play music, even though there's been no electricity for years. There's no explanation. That's just it. That's all you get. The whole electricity thing is very weird. Everybody loses power, right? Because that's what happens in books like this. But then later people forget that there's no power. So it comes back on. You're like wait a minute, if that can happen, then 
And so, you know, you just lose credibility with the reader. You get into some very dicey areas with these topics about memory and magic and logic, and there has to be some connection to reality, or, you know, the reader just loses interest. I haven't thought a lot about this, and maybe you guys have, but I was thinking that this is why someone like me still really, really loves the Harry Potter books, because yes, there's magic, but it's hard. You know, you have to train and be genetically predisposed, and not just any old thing can happen. Okay, so how did this whole thing come about anyway? And here's what we get. It happened to Boston. So this is after the thing in India has happened. And so in the United States, these characters that we are involved with are at a wedding. And somebody is looking at the television and says, it happened to Boston. There was a moment when no one knew what he meant. It was probably the last moment that anyone ever didn't know. Now, nothing ever meant anything else. The shadows, Ori finally asked, but it seemed impossible. The rumors had begun that said perhaps it was something contagious, the new century's Black Plague, or Ebola, but it seemed like hysteria, too easy to dismiss. There was just no real information. No one was sending any signals out of the afflicted countries by phone or email or post or television or radio. And besides, satellite images and high-altitude military flyovers, which showed nothing but stillness and the occasional flicker of a terrified shape wandering through the streets or jungle. There was nothing else to go on. And that's kind of all you get. There's no explanation of who, why, or how. It's not necessarily bad, but I would say it is unconventional for this genre. So there's no reason why one person suddenly loses their shadow or how you can avoid it. And like I say, having things happen for unexplained reasons can make the reader feel kind of uncomfortable. And then on the same page... We just get this sentence that says cellular signal would go down in another day or two before they'd run out of battery. Why? And then in the next page, in a flash forward, she writes, the world was still calling it the epidemic then, as if it was some kind of simple biological quirk, some twisted proteins or mutated virus that could be solved by the right vaccine. And I wondered if you kind of detected a note of condescension there, like, ha, This thing that I thought up is way worse than some Ebola thing. I mean, okay, if you want to invent something terrible, but give a thought to your reader. You know, otherwise, you just feel like you're talking to an eight-year-old about something that they just thought up and that they're just making it up as they go along. And unless it's your own eight-year-old, you know, you're not that impressed with the writing. It's just not good writing. It's inventive, and that's cool but it's not exceptional writing. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, wow, she's being so harsh. And so here's the top review from Amazon. Oxford B. writes, The Book of Mediocrity, A Disappointment. Imagine you live in Boston, where suddenly most people begin losing their shadows, a.k.a. shadowless, which inexplicably leads to the erasure of all memory and loss of mind, a.k.a. forgetting. After a couple days holed up in an apartment building, you lose power and water. 
Weeks go by. For four or five months, you remain and do not go outside as society collapses around you, yet somehow you still see police lights at night. You are running out of food and consider suicide as you begin to starve. Then one day, your sister arrives from Iran with airline peanuts. Mysteriously, airlines aren't flying to Boston, but to Providence, Rhode Island, because it is empty of people. This is where I stopped reading the Book of M, about 20% in. Full disclosure, I like post-apocalyptic fiction in the vein of The Road, The Dog Stars, and Station Eleven, so this is not a question of content. I even like the central premise of the book whereby people lose their shadows as a first sign they begin to lose their minds, aka forgetting. Where this book really falls down is in two key areas. One, logical consistency in the world the writer creates, and two, the quality of the writing itself. I am perplexed as to how this book has received so many positive reviews. Expanding on my initial paragraph, in a world where people are losing their shadows and their minds and society breaks down, you would not see police lights four to five months later. Where are the police cars getting fuel if there isn't electricity or running water? Yet most unbelievable is that an airline would fly to a city empty of people. Airlines would not be flying at all, as all impacted countries would be quarantined until a cause for the outbreak was determined to say nothing of all of the human beings afflicted by the forgetting that operate said airports and airplanes. He then goes on with other logical inconsistencies, which I won't read to you, but... Uh, they're not insignificant, and they, you know, they are an issue. So he's got seven of them here. And then he closes by saying, this goes on and on and on like this, and I've not even broached the subject of bad writing in this book. Don't waste your time. Stop reading this review. Go by and read Station Eleven instead. And you know we did an episode on Station Eleven, and I did think it was well worth reading. And then he says, or the dog stars, or the road. And I haven't read those, so maybe we'll cover those in a different episode. A more balanced review from Savvy Connoisseur, she gave it uh, three stars. He or she gave it three stars. Uh, Apt takeoff, smooth flight, rough landing. I won't read you the whole thing. Uh, But she says, so I loved some scenes, but days after finishing, I don't know what the book was about. I have no meaningful takeaway. I have no satisfaction of the character stories being thoroughly extracted. It's as though the writer gets bored or writes her way into a corner so the story just ends. Still, many redemptive qualities and quite entertaining and fun, better than most of what's out there. But if I forgot I already read it, I'd hope my forgetful self would skip it for something else. (laughs) Jenny Robinson uh, also had a critical review with just one star. Boring, did not live up to the height at all, could not finish. She finishes with, the premise of this book is very interesting, and I was very drawn to it, but for me it boils down to poor execution. Please note, I wanted to like this book. Post-apocalyptic stories are some of my favorites, but this one always rubbed me wrong and never got off the ground for me. I don't even care how it ends. At this point, I can't force myself to read anymore. And then Simon Booth from the UK said, Interesting and unusual, just about 30% longer than it needs to be. He gave it four stars out of five. And I will read you all of this, because I do think it's a good, balanced review. 
For a debut novel, Book of M avoids many of the traps of first-time writers and delivers a unique world and story. It does fall into one debut trap, though, not knowing what is better left on the editing room floor. There's a long section in the middle of the book where things are happening, but nothing is really progressing. The book would perhaps have worked better if it was structured in three or four parts, each focusing on one character slash group slash location, rather than having all the different perspectives intercut throughout. I think that's an excellent observation. The characters are generally a well-written bunch, though like so many novels these days, it does feel a bit like the author had a diversity checklist they were following to make sure nobody could claim they weren't represented. The story is not quite like anything else I can think of, though perhaps some of Brian Aldiss's novels are a relevant reference point. The internal logic of the events that drive the novel is sometimes unclear. It doesn't necessarily feel like the rules are consistent. That does mean that things aren't overly predictable either, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Well worth a read despite a few quibbles, and recommended for those that are looking for something a bit different. So I'll add my two cents here. One thing about that, indeed, we have a gay couple, an Iranian Olympian, a black girl, and a mixed race couple. But in this mixed modern couple, the guy makes a decision that she does not agree with. It's a profound decision. And she just knuckles under. Then it turns out that he made that decision preemptively without consulting her, and there's no going back. So she was completely shut out of participating in that decision. And you know what? She's not even mad. That surprised me in this day and age. Now, all that said, other people, especially prize givers and uh, top 10 books uh, list makers, love this book. So take my whining with a grain of salt It was named a best book of the year by L. and Verge. USA Today said the book of M is devastating and inventive as Shepard examines the value of memory, packing in imaginative twists as she goes. Booklist said eerie, dark, and compelling. The book of M will not disappoint lovers of the passage in Station Eleven. Well, I guess it did me, but... Uh, Then Brad Thor, who's a number one New York Times bestselling author, and on the Today Show, he said, it's an incredible concept, and she is a brilliant, brilliant new fiction writer. This is someone who you're eventually going to have on this couch. She's that good. Bustle said, a beautiful and haunting story about the power of memory and the necessity of human connection. This book is a post-apocalyptic masterpiece and the one dystopian novel you really need to read this year. Darren Strauss, best-selling author of Half a Life, said, The Book of M is exciting, imaginative, unique, and beautiful. Shepard proves herself not just a writer to watch, but a writer to treasure. There you go, a writer to treasure. Shows how much I know, right? So I'm just going to finish here with uh, the top favorable Amazon review, also to kind of pile on the accolades here. Kevin gave it five stars. He said, 
The Book of M is a brilliant story about a world where, for some unknown reason, that cracked me up, people's shadows start to disappear. It's discovered that shortly after someone loses their shadow, they start losing memories. Memories like how letters make words, or how a doorknob opens a door, or that eating food keeps you alive. The world spins into chaos, and we follow a cast of honest, grounded characters who try to navigate it the best they can while keeping an eye on their own shadow or a grip on their fading memories. The Book of M is hard to put down. Pang Shepard's writing and storytelling style is captivating and encompassing. Some of the chapters are very short, and I kept finding myself saying I'll read one more and then I'll go to sleep again and again until I was deep into the night. The dedication of the characters in the story stem from Shepard's dedication to tell a story worth reading. The novel is peppered with magical realism that would make Haraku Murakami proud, fantasy that Neil Gaiman would enjoy, and on a solid foundation of storytelling that Peng Shepard proudly owns herself. So this reference to magical realism is interesting. There's a very important character in the book named Ursula, like the matriarch from Hundred Years of Solitude. And there are also a number of references to ghosts, although they're not really worked out, and they're also a bit weird. Like one is ghosts never wanted enough and people always too much. And there's no explanation around that. that that's it. That's all you get. There's another one where she writes, the shadowless had been disappearing like ghosts. And so that struck me as odd too. Like, isn't the point of ghosts the fact that they don't disappear? But in A Hundred Years of Solitude, and we will devote one of these Literary Sunday episodes to love in the time of cholera, magical realism is generally traditional stories that are also imbued with fantastic images or pieces of kind of surreal narrative. So I wouldn't say that it's very much like magical realism, but my favorite parts of the book are the ones where there is sort of a piece of lyrical writing or a little bit of sparkle to the writing. There's one place, for example, where with no explanation suddenly, and this doesn't happen any other place, suddenly a wolf can talk. But it does say when it leaves the person it's been talking to, don't ask the sparrows the way, they always lie. I love that. And then there's this image that's, that's quite lovely. They took turns reading from Paul's poetry as huge swaths of fabric billowed on the tailor's side just above the dividing wall, the helpers swinging them up to shake out the dust. The verses were punctuated with the soft gliding sound of shears as they cut. That's cool. Uh, So a little bit about uh, Pang Shepard. She was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, where she rode horses and trained in classical ballet. As she's lived in Beijing, Kuala Lumpur, London, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and New York. She's a graduate of the NYU MFA program. Okay. She's the recipient of a 2020 fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts and also received a grant from the Elizabeth George Foundation for Emerging Writers. And her acknowledgement mentions that that's what had allowed her to write this book. The Book of M is her first book. 
and it uh, won the 2019 Neocom Institute for Literary Arts Award for Debut Speculative Fiction. I don't know if you've ever heard of that prize, but anyway, she won that. And it was chosen as a best book of the year by L. Refinery29 in The Verge, and also as a best book of the summer by the Today Show and NPR on point. She has another book coming out quite soon, actually, in May of 21, called The Cartographers. So we can look forward to seeing what she follows the book of M with. And I really sincerely hope that she gets an editor who will make her writing the absolute best it can be. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.